Hello everyone and welcome to Songs on the Brain. My name is Phoenix Hart. I am a student in the Arts and Sciences program at Marinopolis College in Montreal. I'm curious to further explore the intersections between music, biology, psychology, neuroarts, and child development. So after talking with Melanie last week and hearing about her super inspiring class at Brown called Artists and Scientists as Partners, I felt I had to learn more about where this course came from, who was the professor, and so Melanie actually kindly put me in touch with the actual professor who taught it, Rachel Balaban, and we set up an interview. She was kind enough to accept to chat with me, and yeah, I had a great time talking with her and learning more about this course. Um, she actually attended Brown for her undergraduate degree as well and created her own major, her own concentration at Brown. Um, she never really focused on dance uh, during her undergraduate degree, but that was one of her big passions. And she was also very curious to learn about science, which we related uh, on. So yeah, I'm going to jump right into the questions. And I wanted to thank Rachel again for taking the time to chat. I had such a great time. Um, well, I guess just like starting by uh, telling me about that class at Brown and I guess how you came to, I'm, I'm assuming you're the one that kind of created the, the course and just kind of what that yeah. process was and your experiences teaching, teaching sure. it. I believe it was called Artists and Scientists as Partners. Very good. Yeah, that, <laughs> um, that, and that ultimately um, we switched things a little bit. It w was the umbrella term for our entire program because we realized that we were more than just an academic course. So we then labeled the course arts and health theory for our fall semester and arts and health practice for our spring semester. So that um, made us distinct from the overall program, which is called artists and scientists as partners. But that actually didn't really develop until kind of eight years into this. So you're not, not wrong in saying that. So what I'll do is I'll probably refer to it as our ASAP because it's just easier. Um, but then if I talk, if I say something specifically about the course, you'll know it's uh, it's either theory or practice. So um, let me start back in kind of the very beginning, but I'll be very brief. Um, yeah, sure. So I, I went to Brown and um, I studied international political journalism. I made up my own major. And this is interest, I think, important in the final part of the story. I did an independent concentration, which you can do at Brown, and you mm -hmm. create your own concentration. And I did that having nothing to do with what I'm doing now. But I think it's important to remember that. I then went on to be a clothing designer. And that was my my first act, I say, my first career. But um, when my children were old enough to go back to school, and I loved designing clothing, but I wanted something a little more socially um, engaging with people. And so dance was a, my second love. It's something I, I didn't concentrate on that at Brown. At the time, you couldn't have, but um, it was my biggest co-curricular. I, I just danced all the time. So um, I got back into some uh, an aspect of dance, teaching. Um, and then I learned about something called dance for Parkinson's disease. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Dance for PD, I'll, I'll abbreviate that, was a program that was initiated by a modern dance company in Brooklyn called the Mark Morris Dance Group. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about modern dance, they are, you know, at, at, at the top. It was just, they're an incredible company. So when I learned that they were um, offering this training, I thought, I want to see what this is. So mm-hmm. I did my first workshop in 2009 and just, I said, this, this is it. This is what I'm looking for. And I can go into that reasoning some other time. Um, and one of the founding um, teachers was a Brown graduate and, and is still, he's now, he's the program director now. And he is, he is a master. He, his name is David Leventhal. He um, is smart, interesting, talented, kind, and just an incredible teacher. And so you know, I've been taking my advanced trainings since then, since 2009. Okay. Wow. As a matter of fact, we have our first in-person training next weekend since COVID. So I'm very excited about going back. Um, but I learned so much in that training and I was teaching and loving it, but similar to my teaching just regular dance before I found dance for PD, I wanted, I felt like there was something else, like I needed to find, do something more. And so it was at that point that I went to my teacher who I had at Brown, who was still Mm -hmm. teaching dance at Brown. And I said, can we do something? Can we, I, I want to understand how and why what I see happening in the studio is happening. I saw people who would shuffle in, move you know, exit the studio with such fluidity and grace. And I just, I just wanted to know more. And so I'm not a scientist. I've never wanted to be Mm -hmm. a scientific doctor, but I do, I'm really curious. So we um, worked for a couple of years with some amazing students who volunteered their time. Most of all, all of them were students who were interested in that intersection of art and science or, or health and, and art. And so we launched, um, what we called artists and scientists as partners, um, the first semester in the fall. And right away we saw, okay, we have so much in this class. We need to have a second semester. And so the mm-hmm. f- that next spring to create a, a fall and a spring program for the next year. And another thing that developed immediately in that first semester was the need to create what I'm going to call it a laboratory, although it sounds a bit scientific. We need, I felt we needed to create some environment where our students could experience that dance class the way I had. So mm-hmm. they weren't just reading about it or viewing it. They were doing it. And so we yeah. created a pilot program, which exists to this day. Maybe. And right away, I saw that we this was not going to be Parkinson's only. We just couldn't attract a large enough group of people interested. So in the very beginning, we called it Dance for the aging population, DAPR, DAP. And after a few years, we said, okay, that, that sounds really ageist. And, mm-hmm. and for numerous reasons, we, we changed it to dance for all people. Nice. And so our program just grew. Um, it, the second semester included, uh, so the first semester is theory. So we had many guest artists from the science world and the arts world to talk about Mm -hmm. what they were doing in the world and how these two worlds really do connect. Um, All of our students' assignments could be submitted as art forms. They never had to write a paper. They never had to write a report. So this for so many of our students, and it it became this, this novel course that allowed our students particularly the pre-med students of which we attracted probably three quarters of our class 
was was pre-med. Amazing. They could come into our class and free themselves of everything they had to do in their other rigorous courses, ours being rigorous as well, but they could do it through art. And they always had to justify their their artistic choices through their um, artist statement. So it was not just willy-nilly, I just want to create something. It had to be very, very rigorous and, and grounded sure. in the work we were doing. Um, and then second semester was very much devoted to um, ethnographic journaling, you know, really taking observations, subjective, objective, and site placements so that the students could be in the class either with me as in dance, or and I also led the movement part in our, I haven't told you this, the class was to look at arts and its impact on people with neurological disorders, mm. specifically Parkinson's and autism. Okay, and, amazing. And, they, I can explain that to you at some point if you want to know why. Yeah, that'd be amazing, yeah. Well, the, my my colleague, Julie, um, her grandson had autism. And she said, okay, if we're going to look at movement for for Parkinson's, I want to do this for autism. And, and mm. oddly enough, there's some incredible overlaps. You know, there's these, both of these populations face stigmatism. They face creative, you know, a dearth of creative outlets and isolation. And so these, you know, we were able to really, you know, work against all of those forces through our, our dance and our mm-hmm. theater program, the autism. So students did eight, eight classes in, with me in either of those settings and they journaled. And the other thing they did was they created, um, we created something called DAP chats, which were weekly conversations where you actually just sat mm-hmm. across from a person of a different generation and learned about who they were outside of their medical diagnosis, or if they were a student, you know, what they were studying. And they actually became quite close. As a matter of fact, oh my gosh, I can show you this picture. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. I just got a picture today texted to me. This is one of my students who graduated last year. She had a five-year program in, in public health. That's her in the middle. That's Grace. She's a musician as well as a public health major. Oh, wow. This woman is in my dance class and they're all in Paris and they realized they were going to be in Paris and they met up. Oh, that's adorable. So, um, and this became really, really important during COVID because there were sure. so many obstacles to being connected and socializing. And these, these DAP chats were really critical. Mm-hmm. One other piece of that semester was... Um, we did design thinking. So everybody, every student kind of identified some challenge and worked towards solving that by by their final, that was their final um, uh, project was a, a, a solution to a design thinking. Um, okay. Um, so there's where Stanford comes in a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so then, um, and then we would have annual symposiums and here what's interesting to me as a dancer, is we would partner with an organization called Dancing Legacy, who, this is a lot of information. I I won't go into detail Mm -hmm. unless you want me to at another point or now. They created modern dance etudes, five-minute, three-minute dances, where they commissioned very famous modern dance choreographers Mm -hmm. to distill their body of work into a three- or five-minute dance. And this was done because in the world of modern dance, that doesn't exist. In, in in classical ballet, you have Swan Lake, you have, you know, Romeo and Juliet. You have so many things to choose from. You don't have that in modern. It lives True. with the choreographer. So this was a chance to actually learn very famous works. And so we would, um, we as in Dappers would 
learn, I would learn the piece and teach it to my dancers in a modified version, seated. And in the beginning, in these symposiums, which included big, um, you know, so gap. Go ahead. Was this like an event at Brown, like every end yeah. of semester kind of thing? Okay. Yeah, it would it would happen every year in the spring. And we would bring in guest speakers from all over the world mm-hmm. or locally. We have so many at Brown. So we would bring in people who kind of bridge the art science world. Mm-hmm. They would speak. Students would do workshops. So we would always have this lecture demonstration where we would show these dances. And initially it was the prof- a professional dance company performing the, a Brown um, groups performing them, a very underserved high school dance group performing them, and then our dappers. Wow. By the end, we're all performing together. And what I'll do, um, Phoenix, is I'll send you my website and point out specifically um, there's a video, it's a retrospective video of these performances. In the beginning, oh, you wow. all do it separately, and by the end, you see us all doing it together. Um, That's incredible. You know, the same, like the same modern. Dance. Yeah, it, and wow. we would choose different ones, but it would be you know we have yeah. So um, so we did that um, and we did that for eight years. I was ten wow. years. And, um, and Melanie, I mean, we produced about five or six Fulbright scholars, and Melanie was Melanie was one of them. And Amazing. I think our work that we all did together, and it was really for a great part of the student driven. Mm-hmm. And, in that in the sense that we had a foundation and we had certain goals we wanted to meet, but our TAs were chosen for their passion and for their vision of how they wanted to see the class molded and what issues they felt were critical. And so we really co-created this course. So it was mm-hmm. not top down, Rachel and Julie, and then the, the TAs. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's where it does. Um, Melanie was one of our TAs and she was of course, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, what's happened is, and I'll go very quickly on this part. Um, last year, there was a, a big, um, perfect storm of, of bad events. We had a an acting head of our department. We had Julie, my colleague, was retiring. And they, the combination of those and them having no imagination, mm. they didn't renew the program. So oh, wow. it's just gone. It's gone. <laughs> And so, um, but what we're, what we're doing, you know, we're not, what I'm focusing on now, um, I'm a teaching associate at the Brown Medical School and I do discrete workshops with them on various issues. I I continue to teach the Dappers class. I teach about six classes a week and a focus right now is um, I am one of many artists in something called um, the Rhode Island Arts and Health Steering Committee. Mm-hmm. And we, being a very small state, have this wonderful um, ability to, because we only have one Department of Health, we are collaborating. We have um, Rhode Island State Council of the Arts, which is RISCA, which is this arts um, granting body. Okay. The Rhode Island Department of Health working together with community artists in ways okay. that are pretty effective because we are so small mm-hmm. and um, back. I'm going to give you two. I'll tell you about two things happening in 2020 uh, coinciding with COVID. Um, they, the Rhode Island arts and health committee uh, organization offered an initiative called artists at the table. And okay. this was an initiative to help artists like myself kind of lift our voices and our power um, dynamic within 
these negotiations and within these um, partnerships when you have, say, public health, medical professionals and artists so that mm-hmm. we as the artists weren't seen as less powerful, less um, informed, less uh, skilled. And so they they offered something called Artists at the Table to help with that by giving us an opportunity to, to, to join or create a research project. And so I jumped at that opportunity and um, created something called 3D or a deeper dive into dappers. That's also okay. on the site. Um, we are still in this process. Um, oh, it's wow. on here. So it's going a little bit more slowly now than it did in the first two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's three-pronged. We have um, the intervention group where we are closing in on finalizing our intervention manual, which will allow another organization to adopt DAPR's methodology and have a mm. very um, clear-cut uh guidebook, you know, or, or rule book, um, practicum on, on how to teach the class. Okay. The second component is a qualitative analysis. And that was where they took just one semester of those ethnographic journals, but it was a lot of material. Mm-hmm. And three students worked on um, coding all that information. And they're wow. about to come up with a report on that, which... What I love about that aspect of this is that they're looking at this idea of arts programming, intergenerational arts programming, and its impact on the students. So wait, so were those often, like the the notes that the students were taking yes. in observations? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and that's they're pretty amazing. detailed. Yeah. For so sure. It's taken them some, we thought, oh, we'll do, you know, several years. They said, no, we're going to do one semester. <laughs> semester. <laughs> So they're still working on that. And, you know, the the group consists of mostly Brown alum now, a few Mm. uh, students. I am a co-PI along with um, our uh, Stacey Springs, who is a chief um, ethics, uh, what is her title at Harvard? She's got a very, very high title now. Mm. It's... um, Bio, uh, something with eth- ethics research. I'm bioethics to... or it's not, but she, um, I can come up with it. I, yeah. I, I, no her name worries. is Stacey Springs. Anyway, so she's amazing. She is a research guru okay. and she does a lot of um, work in, now in the area of arts and health research. So she's kind of a go-to. So she's just such a, a wonderful, wonderful um, source of information and wisdom uh, mm. as we navigate this. And the last component of this 3D research is the third component is our, um, we're writing a scoping review. We're doing a scoping review with a team in Australia. Okay. And what's cool about that is we're both teams are interested in the impact of arts, dance in particular, dance and elders. Hmm. We, our team in America is in, more interested in the outputs, the outcomes of something like that, whereas the mm. Australian team was more interested in the inputs. And so we thought, let's team up with them because it's a lot of work and we're looking at the same articles. And so, I mean, this is all new to me. I'm a dancer. I am not Yeah, a for sure. So but it's I, so cool to be like diving into something, even if yeah. it's not necessarily your background, but just something right. that you're passionate about, you know? Right. And as I said, I'm curious. I'm I'm a, con, exactly. you know, a perennial student. And so we started, I think we 
culled from 7,000 articles. Wow. About 350. And then we got down to, yeah, to 350. And then once again, down to about 125. And that's, we're doing all this data extraction now on those Mm. 125 articles. And then there'll be a report on that. So all this is kind of ongoing. Amazing. And that's that. But what I've been doing since I don't have this undergraduate platform is um, we have partnered what well, we've gotten. We've just received our second grant with RISCA, Rhode Island State Council of the Arts, and a nursing home in Providence, in East Providence, where we are working with the staff, the residents, families of the nursing home. I come in and I have a group. We we have Brown undergraduates who are volunteering their time, and we have Brown medical school students as part of um, their service learning come in to, mm. to work with them. We have our little dab chats, and the, the ultimate goal is how to make nursing homes places that we all want to enter. How do yeah. we make a place vital, um, creative, imaginative? And so we're looking to really make these, this one in particular, as this kind of flagship home how do we make this an arts community or an arts, you know, inviting communities within mm-hmm. and outside of their own community? And so we've just, as I said, gotten our second grant and we're, we're focusing on how to bring in more, more theater, more music, more dance, and then to have um, performances in their space so that people from the community come into their space. Yeah, that's so nice. Yeah. So that's a, a big goal of ours right now. Mm-hmm. Um. In the past year, actually, I've started um, volunteering and performing in like nursing homes. Yeah, and uh, it was it was kind of like a a group or yeah, it was like a group that a guy at my school started, and I heard about it, and it's been really great. I've done about four or five performances now, and it's just nice to be able to go and interact with people, um, and just kind of especially after the pandemic, you know. Just to kind of share something that I like and, you know, music or dance, the arts in general has a lot of benefits for, for the health. So did you go in and perform uh, in, in, in rooms or is there a group? No, it's like kind of like a a group area and then they'll all come from their rooms and like meet in that like communal space and like two or three people. And we each take our turn playing our our little oh, set. Yeah. It's really, you get to talk with them after. Is yeah. Your... Before and after sometimes yeah. like they're all kind of set up. So we start and then we talk, yeah. but sometimes it's kind of a roll in. So, uh, yeah, I love to talk and people are super curious too to know like what students are doing and what they're up to and like, why, why we're there, you know? So that's really nice to talk with them. And I guess that's kind of what I wanted to ask you was, um, why you feel like the intergenerational aspect is so important, like to bring medical medical students or just students in general into these places? Well, I think what happens, at least in my experience um, at Brown, is there's really quite a division. Um, students are pretty siloed on their campus, and there's mm. very little interaction with people other than people like themselves. I mean, sure, there may be people from different countries and, um, but in terms of age, it's pretty much 18 to 22 year olds. Mm -hmm. And what we learned um, pretty early on is that students are really hungry for this connection with someone different from themselves. And um, 
And it's, I think we think it's, it's obvious that older people love being around younger youth. It, it, it energizes, enlivens them. And there are these shared stories where we see that we're not so different, you know, mm. yes, years and years separate us, but, um, at one example in, in one of the DAP chats, there was a conversation and I got to listen in on, and they were talking about technology and the older dapper was saying, you know, it's, she finds it very frustrating because she doesn't know as much as she'd like to know. And she knows she frustrates her child or grandchild. I don't know who she was referring to when she asked for help, but she, mm. you know, she doesn't know what else to do. And the student hearing that from someone else allowed him to say, wow, I never really thought about it from my mom or my grandmother's perspective. So it just brings an awareness that we might not be as open to if it comes from within our family. Yeah, is is one example. Another thing um, I think, um, I think a lot of students do crave that connection and miss it when they're in college. And so if they have an opportunity, it allows them to feel the closest with someone Mm -hmm. else's other, but it brings them a little bit closer. Um, the one story I was told, which I love retelling, is when I, I asked one of my dappers dancers what they like about having young people in this in the dance class with them. And he said, you know, it's kind of like when you're with your grandchild at the beach and you both want to swim out to that plat, you know, the swim mm-hmm. platform. It's out in the and the bay there you know you just try a little harder you know and I think it's just there's something quite lovely about that just not necessarily showing off but showing 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 up as who you are Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that as particularly as artists who are doctors or doctors in the making um to be able to make a connection through their art form has really profound effects because as artists, we know how, how um, profound art impact is on us. Mm. And if we can share that with someone, we know how healing it is. And um, to the extent that we can reduce medication, reduce surgery, reduce doctor's visits. It's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's what I see. For sure. And could you just, I mean, if do you have any like examples off the top of your head of like people that you've met through dappers that were like supposed to have surgery or just like on the more medical side, like. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can tell you a bunch of little stories. I don't know if any, any one of them, but here's a story. One guy, he, he is kind of our poster boy. He would, mm. he would say yes to everything. He had Parkinson's. He's still alive, but he's not dancing with us anymore. Um, and we were rehearsing for um, one of our symposiums, one of the lectums that I was telling you, it was the one during COVID. So we actually had to stop the whole process, but we were in rehearsal in the dance studio with a younger, the multi-generational cast. And um, we were, we had two casts. So he, Steve was in the second cast. And when the second cast started to, uh, it was their turn. We were all up there ready to go. And Steve didn't realize we'd started. He was, or we're getting ready. He was in the, in the seats and he saw us and he started running across 
the floor. Now here's someone with Parkinson's who has trouble walking. So he saw that he was late and he started running and we're like, no, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> um, this is someone who um, I had years ago. He was one of my first in my first classes and he was 94 years old uh, at oh, his. Wow. So he started probably when he was 91 or something. And one year he had um, pneumonia and it was around Christmas time and he um, recovered and then he went back in um, and the doctor said, David, this is amazing. He, you know, you're, you've been really hit hard by this and twice you've recovered. And he, they said, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm sure it's my dance class. You know, oh. he, he so, and then he said to me once, I've spent 94 years of my life trying to tr prove myself to my mom. He was a psychologist as a mm. professor. And it's only through this dance class that I'm learning who I really am. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is, that is <laughs> incredible. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, I had another dancer who uh, was going in for the deep brain stimulation surgery that people with Parkinson's get to help mm. uh, reduce their tremors. And we were just looking to see when he'd be back in class. And and I said, well, Coles, you're going to be back that soon. He said, I'm not going to let a little brain surgery get in the way of my dance class. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, it's, it's really, it's really special to I feel like, yeah, there's so much emphasis on like medical often and like progress. And of course, I feel like that's important to see how far yeah. we can progress. But there's things that we can do that will help, you know, Absolutely. Uh, almost just as much. Um, and I was curious also to know if you had any remarks or if you noticed how the type of music affects the dancers um, that you play when they're dancing. Yeah. Um, so I give a lot of thought to my, my music choices and mm -hmm. in, the, in the training for dance for Parkinson's, their ideal model is to have live music. And I, I mean, yes, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. And when I was teaching at Brown, I would often have students say like yourself who have a, an instrument they play, um, play something. Um, for for the for the meditation part because we start with the meditation in each mm. class or for something and 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 Melanie did quite a bit because she was there was she there during COVID no it was right before COVID that she was with but she, she had a semester she graduated a semester early but she was on campus for some of that time so she came in okay. and often for our class but um so I, I give a great deal of thought and a lot of this is based on the dance for Parkinson's. Um, methodology but what we try and do in the dance class is really work um and uh in, in this kind of an arc so we start mm. very slow we start to loosen things up we get things moving a little bit more quickly we use um music that has a really um that has grace and, and slow rhythms. And then we go into much more um, percussive things. We might use some African drumming. Um, it's really important with the population we're working with because many of them are older to use music that they're familiar with. Mm. Um, it brings back memories. It conjures up um, feelings of, of warmth and happiness. Um, sometimes we sing with some of these songs because they just call for us to sing. Um, my dad was a jazz musician and I have a bunch of his music. So I'll play his music sometimes. And it's, uh, that's lovely for me as well. But um, 
So yeah, I think you want to be very careful about pairing the right music with the right movement. And so mm-hmm. thinking about what it, what is it that you're trying to achieve in this with the song? Are you trying to achieve freedom and fluidity or coordination and precision? Um, and so music is critical to guiding that. Mm-hmm. Because I've, um, I've also volunteered in like a music therapy setting and it was yeah. for young girls with autism. Um, yeah. And so for like four years, I would kind of go, it was like a, a weekly like girl band kind yeah. of session. And um that was also like the diff every active, like different activity that we would do really had a specific goal, whether it was just like instrumental, letting everyone just kind of play the instrument how they wanted, yeah. or if it was more like a songwriting approach of like trying to work through feelings. So I do feel like, like you say, the music that you choose has like a, a goal behind it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. No, it's, it's so, so important. Um, I, you know, this, I teach dance, but for me, dance and music are inseparable. Mm-hmm. We do some things without music, but not much. Mm-hmm. And I guess coming back to like one of the first things you said about your your undergrad at Brown, um, oh, right. like how was the process of like creating your own concentration yeah. and just general experiences at Brown? I mean, I know it has an open curriculum and it's very, yeah, and I, I visited Brown actually, um, in March and I really loved it. I really loved it. Um, I just, I went on a little road trip with my mom and uh, during like my, uh, my spring break and it was really great. We have a, her friend's daughter goes there. And so we met up with her and she showed me around a bit and it was really, really nice. I, I really loved the environment and also just the whole approach to, to academics. So I'm looking forward to, to applying. I think that my um, the opportunity as an undergraduate to create my own concentration gave me permission and um, inspiration to do what I'm doing mm. because none of this existed before, right? So I was able to say, wow, I want to bring artists and scientists and public health people and anthropologists. And I want everyone to come to together to look at who we are, you know, and, you know, my ultimate goal as a human being Mm -hmm. is to help people access joy through movement and music, through their own bodies, without the use or the need for anything external. Um, Mm -hmm. And with people with Parkinson's disease and others with movement challenges, you know, you are constantly being told what you cannot do your world is constantly shrinking. And so to be with a group of people weekly who see you as something different, some as an artist, as a dancer, as someone who has something to offer, um, is a gift to everyone who participates. So being able to do that through this program was, you know, just incredible. It was such a, such an incredible, really, really rewarding experience. I hope to continue this somehow. I mean, I'm continuing it in other ways right now, Mm -hmm. but I think, um, you know, things that are interdisciplinary are hard. They aren't always accepted and um, there's not a box for it. 
So um, you have to be committed. You have to be passionate. Um, and, and, you know, I always think of this as I was saying to someone, I gave a presentation the other day and, and I said, you know, what I realized in putting my presentation together was what I've done with this is I've made my calling a career, mm. but it's not without um, challenges because there's it's not an application you know, you can't just go to apply for an interdisciplinary artist, you know, <laughs> give me this job, you know, so, for but, sure. um, you know, nobody, nobody said it would be easy or simple, but um, I, what I was going to say is, it, you know, dance chose me. It's like, I don't, it's not, mm. I just don't have a choice. I, I just, movement to me is, is critical to life. So, yeah. Amazing. And do you envision other innovative ways that the arts and sciences could intersect or another type of setting, either educational or professional, where you think a dappers type program could be interesting to implement? Mm. So I, I would love to see this at another university. Mm. I, um, I think there's a great need and opportunity for this kind of work in medical education. So for um, medical students, which is really challenging because their, their schedules are already so chock full where do you put something like this in mm. um I think there is a place for it but I'd need to work I, I need to work with a partner in the medical school who's receptive to that and and for that's sure. that's happening in some ways it's um it's really critical though to have a a very um a powerful and agreeable and um, motivated partner Mm. Um, it, as an artist, it's hard to do these things without having the support of of the university, the medical school. You know, you really need someone on the inside saying this is important. For sure. Yes. Um, Melanie was telling me uh, about certain things that she's been working on, you know, at Stanford now uh, in medical school and trying to continue to perform and continue to be involved with um, music related things, but that it's, it's, she, you know, she fears that it's going to get harder moving forward. So. Um. Yeah. It, I think, but I don't think it's impossible. I think change mm. is already happening and it's coming again. It has to come from within. It has to come from doctors who themselves see that this is important work. Mm-hmm. And I mean, crucial to the sustainability of, you know, the medical field and, 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 you know, rising medical costs. I mean, this is art is a really efficient, low cost way of of keeping people healthy. And I think if we could use it preventatively, we'd really be smart. Yeah. So not using it for people who are in the midst of some type of a health issue, but how can we, you know, moving, moving at all stages of our life is important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I'm I'm on that bandwagon as well. Totally. And lastly, as someone who didn't study in a scientific field, did you ever feel like there was a barrier or coworkers or people you were collaborating with weren't as receptive of your ideas? At, at the university? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, again, I think if I, my partner was more aligned with my, my colleague was more aligned with, in, with my training. I mean, she, she had been at Brown for years and years as a mm. professor. So I just came as an adjunct, but, but she was a, a dancer. She had no medical training also. I do think that if we had had, um, 
a partner who was in the science medical field, I, I would likely still be there. So I do think that there mm-hmm. are biases against artists. <laughs> okay. Who don't have um, that the medical training. And, you know, I, I, I get... Um, I get some aspect of that, but I think, I think it's really short-sighted when you look at the outcomes and um, partnerships are always good. So, you know, always looking out for, for that side, but it's, it's kind of how the system is structured. And for now it, it is a barrier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out what I, you know, where I want to go and what yeah. I want to study and just, you know, I don't want to limit myself right now. I'm still taking like science courses and stuff, yeah. but yeah. I just, it's nice to see that, you know, even if it's not the path that I follow, that I can still be involved in like, you know, the health department, you know? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think there's, I think there's so many paths to that. Mm. I think it's a really good idea to keep your options open um, as you go. You're, are you a senior, a rising senior? Um, so in Quebec, we have a different school system. So we finish high school in grade 11. Yeah. And then we do two years of a kind of pre-university yeah. school called Sejep. So I technically just finished grade 12. Got it. Um, and I'm going into my second year of this pre-university. Um, so I am applying. So I'm tech, like, I'm a rising senior in the sense that I'm applying to your college, is college right. this right. fall, but right. uh, I'm, I'm already 18 turning 19. Yeah. I would, um, I think it makes sense to keep your options open and to, to take classes wherever you end. If mm-hmm. you think medical school or something to do with science is in your future, I would go down that path because, mm-hmm. and, you know, explore everything that you're interested in. And I say this, and I, I know this will depend on which university you choose and what their strengths are, but we had one student who was pre-med and um, gung-ho. He came out of our teaching I, we call them teaching apprentices. Mm. And he ultimately um, dropped dropped the medical side and went to Rhode Island St- School of Design after okay. Brown and is an artist now. Most of our students did continue as doctors. Um, and I know that because I'm constantly writing <laughs> letters <laughs> of recommendation. <laughs> but um, I think it's really good to keep your options open. And I know... Melanie had questions all throughout. I'm sure mm. she mentioned that to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Still questioning some things. So, um, but I think, you know, my sense is you will have some answers as you go along. Yeah. Keeping the options open is is a good idea. Mm-hmm. For for this two-year program that I'm in, we have well, we have to choose a a program and so I'm in the arts and sciences program so it's oh, yeah so I'm already kind of doing it all it's it's yeah. so I'm hoping yeah. to be able to just keep doing that kind of as long as I can oh I love it thank sure. you so, so much yes, lovely to meet you Phoenix. yeah okay. have a nice Karen, day thank okay you, you bye I know So I want to thank Rachel again for coming on to the podcast. I had such a great time chatting with her and uh, want to thank you all for listening and looking forward to seeing you guys next week for another episode of Songs on the Brain.